listening to First Church Charlotte. And so, all right, let's, we're in Matthew chapter number five. This is the famous Sermon on the Mount. Jesus sits them down and he starts in verse number three saying these famous words, blessed are the poor in spirit. Why? Read it with me. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn. Why? They shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek. Why? They're going to inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Uh, let's stop there, and I'm going to uh, speak for a few moments on this question. What do you mean by blessed? What do you mean by blessed? Before you're seated, touch your neighbor and say, I know you're blessed. I want some of what you've got. Amen. God bless you all. It's a joy to teach the word of the Lord. It's an honor to teach the word of the Lord. And I, uh, I am always just a little bit amazed that the Lord would choose me to promote his great kingdom, and I'm thankful for that. So let's get into the word of the Lord here together. I will start with acknowledging to all of you that the Sermon on the Mount is one of the most startling religious documents and sermons and religious literature that has ever been uh, produced and ever been read. Uh, imagine someone, some great religious teacher, uh, sets you down and says, I want to give you insight into how the kingdom of God works. I want you to understand how things will unfold in the kingdom of heaven. And then he proceeds uh, to take the opposite of everything you think you know about how the world works. You know, all of us, we, we have to live life. We have to try to figure it out. Uh, we have a very strong sense that the better we organize our lives, the better we understand our career, the better we understand relationships, the better we can uh, live in response to the world and live in response to our challenges and live in response to being this human being. And so we, all of us, we want to get it. If you are, if you are in any type of career and any kind of industry, it is in your interest to figure it out as soon as you can. If you're in sales, you want to figure it out as soon as you can. And the people who figure it out first, they may not always be able to put it into words, but they have figured it out as a personal way of being, a personal uh, lifestyle formula, shall we say, in response to their opportunities and their challenges, and it seems like they do well. It seems like they're the ones who are promoted, right? It seems like they're the ones who live in the nicest neighborhoods, and they drive the finest cars, and they, they do the best in the dating market, you know? <laughs> you want to figure it out, young people. I, I remember growing up, I so much wanted to get whatever I needed to do, I wanted to do it. Whatever the challenges, the opportunities, I wanted to see to use some pop culture. I wanted to see the matrix as soon as possible so I could make sense 
of this thing called life, right? You guys understand? And so all of us live in response to these opportunities. All of us live in response to these challenges. If you're single, you want to figure out the whole dating thing as soon as possible. Uh, If you're financially, shall we say, uh, underachieving, (laughs) you want to figure out the whole capitalist thing as soon as possible. Uh, If you're living unhealthy, you're in unhealth, or you're living with disease, or or you can't, you're you're sick all the time. You want to figure it out. You want to. You don't want to live that way, right? And so we try to make sense of it all. And even if we're religious, we try to make sense of it all. We we think about what we know, and we wrestle with what our grandparents gave to us as a religious bequest of sorts. And then we, and we think about what we learned by being raised by our parents. And we all of us know our parents weren't perfect, except for my parents. And uh, most of our parents, you know, they, they did the best they can. And that's reassuring if you have children, because all you can do is what? The best you can. And we try to figure it out. And then, then, we sit down with this great religious teacher, this great minister, this this one who might even be anointed beyond the ordinary. This one who is, and this is how the crowd sees Jesus. They don't see him as the Messiah yet. They don't see him as the Son of God yet. Not even the disciples think he is the Messiah yet. That'll happen later when Jesus asks his disciples, whom do men say that I am? And what happens? You guys know, Peter just jumps up and says, can I have the microphone, please? And they give him the microphone. And he says, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And the other disciples say, yay and amen. And so it was. What was? Well, the disciples grasped and agreed upon who Jesus was. All of us, we need to agree upon who Jesus is. He's not just a religious figure. He is the Son of God. He is the hope of the world. He is the Redeemer of all our sins. I have hope today through Jesus Christ. I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus today because of the work of Jesus Christ. I can pray for someone and believe for healing because of the name of Jesus. I have victory over the oppressions of flesh. Why? Over Because of the name of Jesus. But let's put ourselves in the crowd and hear this, this great teacher is speaking. And the first thing he does is he speaks to this system we have mapped out for ourselves on how we live life, how the world works, how an individual gets ahead, how you can be successful. We've all of us worked hard to understand how the world works. And we've worked hard to understand how, whether it's business, whether it is religion, whether it is family, whether it's relationships, we've all worked hard to get it right. And then he sits down in front of us, this man named Jesus, and he says, firstly, everything you think you know is wrong. All your schemes, all your game theory minds, that's all wrong. If you're poor, it can be a blessing to you. 
Now, he's not simply, most commentators agree that he's not uh, referring primarily to financial poorness. The word could very accurately be translated as humble. Blessed are the humble in spirit. The world seems to reward the opposite. And here this man is telling us there is a blessing in poorness of spirit or poverty of spirit. Uh, and they would be given the kingdom of God, of heaven. No one wants to mourn. It is soul breaking. It is life shattering to lose somebody you love. And here this man is saying there is a blessing even in mourning because godly comfort can be given. And meekness, no one meek gets ahead in the world. Rulers rule. Hence the word ruler. What do you mean, meek shall in? The first thing he does is upset the apple cart of all the things they think they know about the kingdom of heaven. I wonder how sometimes we need to have a reprioritizing in our life of all the things we think we know about how the kingdom of heaven works. I think sometimes we go about achieving spiritual things through the values of the flesh. Oh, don't get quiet on me now. I'm talking the truth to you. We go about pursuing spiritual things through the values of the flesh. We think the way to get ahead in the kingdom of God is to promote ourselves and exalt ourselves and compete one with another because we think the kingdom of heaven is just another jungle where one competes against the other and we get ahead on the backs of somebody else's dreams. We think heaven is just another capitalistic jungle where we compete by being better, faster, smarter, more talented. And he is trying to change the perception of what they think about the kingdom of God. It is as though everything he describes is a place of human emptiness. I want you to see this. Whether he's talking about poor in spirit, being mournful, being mean. Uh, being hungry, being merciful, being pure. It is a, a, almost a, a type of picture into a state of human emptiness. Let me tell you the truth about all of us, but particularly about you. The more full you are of you, the less spiritual you're probably going to be. Now, I didn't get any mans from this side of the church, but Brother Larry was carrying this whole section right here. Can this side over here say amen? Thank you very much. If you are full of you, the odds that you're going to be very spiritual are quite low. Why? I'll give you some scripture. The carnal mind is enmity against God. It is not, it is not mindful of the things of God. It cannot even in its essence be mindful of the things of God. The way we become spiritual is when the carnal version of us is so suppressed. It lives as it though, as it were, a spiritual death within us. And the only thing left within us is this empty place waiting to be filled. This is a very important spiritual concept. It is very, very important. And this is what I want you to see in this moment. All of these pictures, whether it is meekness or whether it is mournfulness or whether it is uh, a poor in spirit or being hungry and thirsty is a picture of a human condition where they are emptied out of themselves and they exist as a vessel waiting to be filled with something better. 
so much of serving God is the continuing act of emptying ourselves of us. You know why you need a prayer life on a regular basis? Because you don't need to be too full of you. You need to be filled with the Spirit. You know why you need to fast? To remind your carnal soul that sadness is not in finance. I mean, joy is not in finance and happiness is not in pleasure. But rather, when we are emptied of the temporal, we can be filled with the eternal. That's what the teacher is trying to get them to see. The more you think you are the answer, the less inclined you will ever be to open your heart to God. That's why faith is so beautiful and so powerful. Faith is the act of admitting, I don't have the answer, I need something beyond me. Faith is the act of admitting, I don't know how to fix things, I need God to work in my life. Yes, that is faith. All of us must daily choose faith as a way of being, a way of living. I choose faith. So when you catch yourself rushing to your opinion of what you should do. You need to put on the brakes and you need to humble yourself and you need to empty yourself and you need to say, oh God, I'm here again on this day you have given me and I'm bowing my knee again and I'm lifting my hands again and I'm saying, oh God, what would you have me to do with what I am living with and through and what I am facing? This can easily be oversimplified and we can kind of sum it up with a shrug and move on. But I want to have you pause and be reminded it is fundamental to what it means to be a person of faith. This action of humbling ourselves, laying aside the solutions of the flesh, opening our heart to the presence of God, and being filled is fundamental to what it means to be a Jesus follower. The crowd that hears Jesus is very religious. It's not that they're not religious. They are observant Jews. Not necessarily all of them are professional scholars of the law, uh, scribes. Not all of them are highly educated uh, with religious status like members of the Sanhedrin. Not all of them are zealous to the point of using their zealousness as an identity. Not all of them are Pharisees. Uh, Not all of them are anything. Many of them are poor. Many of them are blue collar, so to speak. Many of them are just normal people of the earth, but all of them are religious. Uh, uh, Nearly all of them are religious within the context of the Jewish faith. This is known as the Second Temple Era, and within the context of Jewish religious life, they would, all of them, be in some manner observant. They would keep the Sabbath. They would uh, read the scriptures in the synagogue. They would have been at some level educated as a child through that teaching system at the synagogue the men would have been uh, and so all of these all of these people are quite religious and they think they know how to live and there's competition of course among them uh, the Pharisees want them to be very very strict in a public manner as a way of evidencing how good they are to others and the Sadducees want them to be very proper in the honoring of temple offerings and the v- very proper in the formal religious observances that are a part of national life and and, and you get the idea and here is Jesus blowing up their idea of what it means to serve God. 
And it's almost as though he's saying this. You are blessed when you are poor in your spirit because you are finally able to see the kingdom of heaven. But when you feel rich in your spirit, you're never going to see what God is doing in the earth. Blessed are you when you are mourning because you've given up on comforting yourself and because you have given up on comforting yourself, you now have a chance to be comforted by God. You are blessed if you are meek. I know that goes against what you think, but now when you are no longer trying to conquer the world, you have a chance to be given the desires of your heart by God. You are blessed when you are hungry and thirsty for righteousness. You are you are hungry for God's righteousness. Why are you blessed? Because once you stop trying to fill yourself... You have a chance to be filled with God's righteousness. You're blessed when you give mercy because the mercy you need is not the mercy you give. The only mercy good enough for you is God's mercy. But if you can't give your mercy, you can't receive God's mercy. Blessed are you when you're pure in heart, when your intentions are right because faith was always a thing of the heart. Religion is always a thing of the heart. And if your heart's not right, nothing else matters. The law cannot cover for a heart that is wrong. Are you empty today? If you are empty, you have a tremendous opportunity of blessing. It doesn't matter if you've been emptied by pain, emptied by sorrow, emptied by loss, emptied by brokenness. You are blessed. Why? Because God now has a chance to fill you with his presence. When you were full, you never would have called upon the name of Jesus. And although you were full of you, you were cursed with you. But now that you're empty, you might be blessed of God. Emptiness is so important. Emptiness is so important. When people are ready for God, they are empty and they come into the house. A lot of people can come to church a long time and not be moved and not be ready and not respond to the preaching. Why? They haven't been emptied of themselves yet. But once they are emptied of themselves, they are in a blessed condition because now God can fill them with his presence and his spirit. Uh, you, all of you know the story. I've preached on it before, and of course, I will preach on it again. I love the story. It's told in Second Kings, and it is the story of a certain woman uh, who, uh, her husband was dead. She was a widow, and they were in a time of famine, and the prophet Elisha asked her to uh, cook for him, and she protested that all she had was just a little bit of meal and a little bit of oil, and uh, that her and her son were going to eat this, and that was going to be the end. They would die after that. And Elisha uh, speaks with a completely different value system than the world. Uh, He doesn't speak in terms of what man can do. He speaks in terms of what God can do. And he says this to her, and this is so shocking, but it's an image of what serving the Lord is. He says, make the little bit of meal and oil and make me something to eat. And then once you are empty, you are empty. Somebody say, empty. Somebody say, I want to be empty, Lord Jesus. Once you are empty, go gather all the pots 
and pans and buckets you have. Gather them and bring them here. She begins to do this, and she has every vessel she has gathered right there by the prophet. He says, this is not enough. God is looking for more emptiness. Go find all your neighbors and ask them if you can borrow vessels. And she goes to her neighbor's house and she borrows all the emptiness. It's a time of famine that she can get. And she brings it all in before the prophet. And now there's this whole, there's this whole room, so to speak, full of these vessels that are empty vessels. God is in the business of looking for empty vessels. If you haven't felt God in your life, maybe you are too full of everything else because God will not compete for your heart. He will love you. He will die for you. He will reach for you. But if you choose another king to serve, he will not perform insurrection in your life and force himself upon you. Hear me today. You know what we do with spiritual disciplines? You know what we do with Bible study? And we do with prayer? And we do with fasting? We are emptying ourselves so that we might be filled with God. You can't you can't Netflix Netflix binge all day and expect God to show up and force himself upon you. You can't spend all day watching basketball or football or whatever and then expect God to force himself upon you. No, it is in the quiet spaces of our life where we say this is a distraction right now and this is a hobby but it's a distraction right now and this is a distraction right now. Oh God, I am emptying myself and I'm saying would you fill me with your spirit oh God and so they have all the vessels you guys know the story and once the oil begins to flow it flows until all the emptiness has been filled Did you hear that? Do you see that spiritually? It flows until all the emptiness has been filled and all of the vessels are filled with oil. And then the Bible says the oil stops, the oil stayed. And so it is in our own lives. We must empty ourselves of this world. And we are blessed when we are empty, poor in spirit, because we're going to be filled with the kingdom of heaven. And we're blessed when sadness has emptied us of all our distractions because we're going to be comforted by God. And we're blessed when we humble ourselves and live as though we are meek because then God can give us the whole earth, the desires of our heart. And when we're hungry and thirsty for God, we are blessed because then God can fill us not with our righteousness, but with his righteousness. We're blessed when we give our mercy away because our mercy was never good enough and God can fill us with his mercy. Your spirit is not enough. You need to give your spirit to God so he can pour his spirit into you. Satisfaction becomes the greatest enemy of revival in and among religious people. Did you hear what I said? Satisfaction becomes the enemy of what it means to be uh, Christian, godly, uh, passionate, zealous people. We get satisfied. We get content. Let me remind you of the Ark of the Covenant in there that cherubs and I actually preached about this recently and I love the idea. It's been in my spirit for a while. The cherubs 
Proverbs, they have the, the wings and they extend their wings toward one another. But what is between them? There is emptiness between them. The Lord does not dwell in the ark of the covenant. He sits in the emptiness between the worshipers. And so it is in our walk with God if we choose contentness and satisfaction. I don't mean contentness with God. I mean contentness with the manner in which God would use us to fulfill his purpose. We can be content in God, but never receive his heart, never feel his purpose and his burden. I want to remind all of you today, God has anointed you to do a work in the world you live in. God has anointed you to be a carrier of his Shekinah glory to the world. You, I hope you sit up at night and wonder what you could do in some manner to help somebody. I hope when you pray, you think about, is there a, is there a small group idea that I could do where I could pour myself into somebody and then I could be empty and thus blessed by the presence of God? I hope when you pray, it's not enough for you just to feel proper. The enemy of so much spiritual ambition is us being filled and satisfied with our own sense of religious properness. Your properness is not your purpose. The field is your purpose. I'm not saying you shouldn't be proper. I'm saying it should be an unsatisfying meal. Because you should have a burden for more than you. And the reason why we get satisfied with our own properness is because too often we're content to only have a burden for ourselves and the people we love. Boy, I'm just, I'm just wading out today, aren't I? I'm just, God save us from that kind of an attitude where we think we are enough for the kingdom of heaven. I am not enough for the kingdom of heaven. I'm thankful to be blessed and I'm thankful that my family is blessed. But oh God, use our family to reach a world that you died for. Our church is blessed and I'm thankful our church is blessed. But God forbid we keep the bread of the house in the house. We've got to cast the bread upon on the waters. You've got to find somebody that would be surprising for you to love and you've got to show the love of God to them. You've got to find someone who would be surprised that you would even consider them and you've got to tell them you're praying for them and you believe God has something great for them. You must let your light shine because this is the work of the kingdom. I don't want to be simply content with my own condition. I must live admittedly between what I was and what I can be. But I can must always reach for what I can be, not find contentment and comfort and satisfaction with what I have been. It's quiet. Let me end with this story here today. Musicians, you can come. There is a story told of the, sepet, the, sec, the second building of the, the second uh, 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 temple in Jerusalem. This was uh, before the temple that would be enlarged and much expanded by uh, Herod. It would be of the temple, but that would happen later. This was the first building of the temple after Jerusalem had been destroyed. And so it is that, so it is that uh, there was... 
much destruction in the, in the house of Judah. Uh, people were scattered to all the many nations. They were taken captive and the Lord put it on the heart of Nehemiah. Remember that. To come back and rebuild the walls of the city. Rebuild, rehang the gates of the city. And so he does that. He's aided by the, the, the greatest kingdom of the world at that time. and He is sent back and they rebuild the walls. They have to fight. There's a beautiful story told in Nehemiah of them rebuilding the walls. And after that, they, they were going to build the temple. But, but something happened because when they laid the foundation of the temple, uh, the Bible gives us this image. The young men shouted and the old men wept. And why did the old men weep? Um, it, it, it wasn't that uh, they had lived long enough to see the temple before. They had heard the stories of the temple before. Probably... <clears throat> It's very doubtful that any of them had actually been alive. I mean, we're talking, uh, they'd have to be well over 100 years old to, to, to have been alive and see the temple with anything other than the youngest child's eyes. And so they, they are remembering an idea of the temple. And it's glorious. It's Solomon's temple. And, and no doubt it's grown bigger with time. You know how that happens. And the fish gets bigger with the telling. <laughs> and uh, so it is. They have this idea in their head. And they also perhaps uh, know this prophecy that the, 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 the latter house will be greater than the former house. Now we interpret that. We interpret that to see the church age. But I, I want you all to see that to the, to the Jews at this moment, they interpret it to be the second temple we're building is going to be greater than the first temple we had. And yet they lay the foundation and they can tell by by looking. Hear me a moment more. They can tell by looking that it's not going to be greater. Can you imagine the pain in their heart? We are disappointing God. It's supposed to be greater, and it's not greater. Now, we may have not seen it ourselves, but we know it was more than that. That's pitiful, but that's the best we can do. And they were so saddened that while the young people who didn't have the same idea of this, this temple, while they, the young people shouted, the old people wept. And it is heartbreaking, it is soul-breaking uh, for uh, any people uh, to, have, to, to, to live with the disapproval of their elders. Some of you were raised that way. You couldn't do anything good enough. And it's, it's so painful and heartbreaking for people to live with the, the, the disapproval of their elders. It, it, it immediately cuts your legs out from under you. And you're a failure before you start because there's nothing you can do. Because you did not build the second temple better than the first temple. And so you live with that. And uh, the elders that were there, they wept. And we know from the Bible that it so depressed the children of Israel, they stopped building. They just laid the foundation of the temple, and when the elders wept at the celebration, it wasn't a morning, it was a celebration of the, the, when they laid the cornerstone to the temple. It's, it's finished. The, 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 the foundation is finished. We're ready to raise the walls. And the elders are mourning, and the young people are, well, this isn't what we're supposed to do? Uh, this, this is what we've got. Uh, this is the world we were living with. This is our new reality. And it stops all progress. Now, uh, this is uh, easy. Uh, you elders need to bless the young people in your life. You may have done better than them. You may have done worse with them. You still need to bless them. You need to speak faith to them. They are never going to be now what you are now because you weren't then what you are now. And it's easy to edit your memories and remember the good stuff you did and forget about all the foolish stuff you did. Don't curse your children. Bless your children. All progress stops. 
And for 20 plus years, no construction happened. God's getting more and more frustrated. Finally, he sends, he sends prophets to them. And they come to them with this message. It's time to build. 20 years is past. It's time to build. We can't stop. You've got to build now. And so uh, the prophets sent to them. Uh, knew that We have the writings of those prophets. They, they, they re-inspire their children of Israel. They get past that curse of the elders. And they start building again. Now, what's astonishing, what's astonishing is this, they were in the will of God. Even though the second temple did not seem as cool by their standards, by God's standards, it was going to be a place where the whole world would be ushered in. Because God had a different idea of the latter reign than the house of Israel had. Do you see? Here these people are, disappointed, not able to have the dream come through, not able to live with the excitement of a temple that's greater than the first one. But even so, God was in the work. If they had only humbled themselves and said this, the greatness of God's kingdom was never built upon how good of craftsmen we were. The greatness of God's temple was always God. You see, here's the mistake, and I want you to see it. They thought greatness was what they did. They did not perceive that greatness was what God did. You know how we kill the move of God in our lives? When we think the kingdom is on what we are and do and think and not on what God is doing and what God is and what God thinks. And so you know what we do, my brother, my sister? We empty ourselves of us. And we say, I'm like a child. I don't know when to go out. I don't know when to come in. I don't have the answer to what my brother needs. I don't have the solution to what my sister's living through. I don't have an easy conclusion to the challenges of the generation. But this is what I know. When I come to the end of me, I have a potential of great blessing. Because then God can fill me with his answer. And God does know. Are you hearing me? When you come to the end of your solution, you're in a place of great potential blessing because now you can stop figuring it out about what you think and what you say and you simply can say in your heart, I'm ready for your solution, God. I'm ready for your righteousness, God. I'm ready for your anointing, God. I'm ready for your work, God. And all of a sudden, you go from being somebody who the world understands to somebody that the world doesn't understand because you are a part of the kingdom of heaven. Oh, I want to be that so bad. Do you feel that way today? I want to be that so bad. I want to be filled with the presence of God. Would you stand with me right now? Would you step out of the chair you're, you're, you're sitting or standing in there? And would you begin to make your way down to the front? And as you come, would you open your spirit? And would you say, Lord, I'm ready to be emptied of me. I'm ready to lay aside my solutions. I'm ready to lay aside my mercy and be filled with your mercy. I'm ready to lay aside my righteousness and be filled with
with your righteousness, oh God. I'm not looking to the wisdom of the flesh. Come on, church, pray with me right now. I'm not looking to the wisdom of the flesh. I'm not trying to come up with the carnal solution of my mind. I'm not trying to come to some type of a, uh, a calculation that is the representative of my carnal mind, but God, I am hungry for you today. Would you fill me with your spirit? Would you fill me with your anointing? Would you flow through me with great anointing and power and blessing? In Jesus' name we pray. In Jesus' name we pray. In Jesus' name we pray. Would you lift your voice and call upon the name of the Lord right now all across the house? We are your people. We are the sheep of your pasture. We are not our own. We've been purchased by your blood. And you've placed us in this city. You've placed us in our respective neighborhoods and our respective careers. Oh, God. Would you let your light shine through us, Father? Would you teach us to live with less of us and more of you? Would you teach us to live with less of the flesh and more of your spirit, oh God? In Jesus' name we pray. 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 I want to give you, I want to give you a little bit of spiritual direction because we can complicate this issue and a lot of times it's so easy to talk to people and and they they express almost a little bit of frustration in that they don't know what to do and where to begin and they want more of God but they it's like they they don't really know and a lot of people end up thinking that the the shortcut to more of God is to have a title if they have a title then that's it I'm here to tell you if I had a dollar for every person with a title that doesn't have much anointing on their life I could send you all to Hawaii for a month titles aren't the answer titles are functional they help us understand structure they are not the answer how do we how do we pursue how do we know uh, I want to I want to give you as simple a simple uh, directive as possible here today and I want to say this to you if you don't know where to start start with more quiet. What do I mean with that? Your life's probably too full. You're a modern human being. <laughs> Every moment your phone's probably nagging at you. You probably have a nice smartphone addiction going on. <laughs> How about more quiet? You say, okay, more quiet. Set some time and pray. Prayer doesn't have to be a speech you make for God. Prayer can be a hollowing out of your life. And you literally can sit down or kneel in the presence of God and say, here I am, Lord. I want more of you. And you can pause. And you can reflect. If you're looking for a path forward, I would say more quiet, more silence more moments of devotional time more prayer hollow out some places in your life intentionally create some emptiness in your schedule and sit down in the presence of God 
and say, Lord, I'm really looking for effective ministry to my world. And so I'm going to sit here with you for a little while and I'm going to praise you and I'm going to reflect upon your goodness and I'm going to humble my spirit. And if at any moment in this time that I've set aside for you, if you would speak an idea into my mind, if you would quicken a thought into my heart of what I might can do, I want you to know I've set aside some time for you. And then just praise the Lord. And see if there is not an idea quickened to your spirit. It's never going to happen when you're doing this all day. It's never going to happen when you're working. It's never going to happen when you're filled with you. You've got to create some emptiness and say, fill it, oh God. And I promise you, he will. Lord Jesus, I pray for your people. I pray your protection upon them. I pray your anointing upon them. I thank you for their zealousness. I thank you for their desire to walk with you and know you. Let your spirit flow through this house in great and mighty ways, oh God. Let your spirit flow through this house. Let it flow through our lives. Let there be waters that we can walk in and wade in and ultimately swim in. In Jesus' name we pray. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I haven't really haven't really preached a sermon to you today so much as I've made an appeal to your heart and an appeal to your life. Let's be people who seek the kingdom of heaven, all right? Let's be people who pursue the kingdom of heaven. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come join us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road at the corner of Shamrock Drive. Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m. and Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. Online, find us at firstchurchclt.com or like us on Facebook or Twitter. We hope to see you soon. Come worship with us.